Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing. This is episode 565. This is the weekly podcast about slow flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This show is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free online directory to more than 850 florists, shops, and studios who design with local, seasonal, and sustainable flowers, and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor, Farm Girl Flowers. Farm Girl Flowers delivers iconic burlap wrap bouquets and lush, abundant arrangements to customers across the U.S. supporting U.S. flower farms by purchasing more than $10 million of U.S.-grown fresh and seasonal flowers and foliage annually. Discover more at farmgrowflowers.com. And thank you to Details Flowers Software, a platform specifically designed to help florists and designers do more and earn more. With elegant and easy-to-use systems, Details improves profitability, productivity, and organization for floral businesses of all shapes and sizes. Grow your bottom line through professional proposals and confident pricing with Details All-in-One platform. All friends of the Silthars podcast will receive a seven-day free trial of Details Flower software. You can learn more at detailsflowers.com. Greetings, friends. Here at the Slow Flower Society, we have experienced a whirlwind several weeks, including producing our fifth and largest Slow Flower Summit conference ever, celebrating American Flowers Week with our Botanical Couture Collection, and publishing our debut summer issue of the new Slow Flowers Journal Easing Quarterly. Add to that 10 days of my travel away from home, and well, honestly, I'm just beginning to recover from all the fun and festivities. So today, in what is an entirely rare occurrence, you will hear an encore installment of the Slow Flowers podcast. Petals and Alpacas at Golson Gardens in Walla Walla, Washington, originally aired as episode 395 in April of 2019, and it is one of my very favorite shows ever. I mean, alpacas and flowers? What could be a better pairing? The people behind this fiber and flowers enterprise are an equally great pair, Slow Flowers member Elaine Vandiver and her husband, Mike Vandiver. Golson Gardens is a small 10-acre farm located in southeastern Washington State in the quintessential rural community of Walla Walla, which is in the southeast corner of the state. Mike and Elaine are both U.S. Army veterans turned first-generation farmers. As they share on their website, Mike and Elaine purchased their farm in late 2013 as a way to start anew after learning that a traditional family wasn't in the cards for them. Ten acres seemed sufficient. It had a big old red barn that reminded Elaine of the ones she saw growing up in Indiana, plus it had a handful of outbuildings and, of course, the farmhouse. She describes it as a two-story folk Victorian number with a wraparound porch. The whole place had charm, potential, and good bones. If you could look past the peeling paint and tatters of time. In other words, it was a lot like Elaine and Mike themselves. The seller told them it was a, quote, old homestead, and that those two llama come with the place. 
As city kids, Elaine and Mike were unfamiliar with both homesteads and llamas, but they were in a place in life where they weren't going to question things, so a homestead with llamas it was. The first spring arrived, and the once sad-looking pastures sprang to life, and their two raggedy llama, named Leroy and Loretta, well, they couldn't keep up with the grazing tasks, and as Elaine writes on their website, With all our resources tied into farmhouse renovations, we couldn't exactly get a tractor. So naturally, we got the next best thing, alpaca. You know, the cute, smaller, softer versions of llamas. They were supposed to be nothing more than cute little lawnmowers, and they were. But it sort of took a whole gaggle of them to keep up with the grass. And then they needed to be shorn, and that pile of raw fleece had to go somewhere. Ultimately, they started having it professionally spun into yarn and then launched Old Homestead Alpacas, with a line of knitwear made exclusively of the alpaca fiber manufactured entirely in the U.S. Elaine had begun to grow dye flowers, so in the summer of 2017, she decided to start selling them as cut flowers. She began by planting 100 row feet of zinnia, cosmos, sunflowers, and celosia. I recorded this episode in March of 2019 when I was in Walla Walla to speak, along with Elaine, about the Slow Flowers Movement for the Washington State Farmers Market Association Conference. Hers is a very personal, inspiring story, and I know you will connect with it. Anyone who views growing cut flowers as a new way of life might see this as a catalyst for all sorts of change. To learn how the story unfolds, I'll let you hear it from Elaine. So let's jump right in and get started. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, and I'm coming to you today from Walla Walla, Washington, and my guest is Elaine Vandiver. Hi, Elaine. Good morning. Hi. We've just had a wonderful visit of your farm, Golson Gardens, and um, your other business is Old Homestead Alpacas, and I'm so happy to be face-to-face with you. We, we originally met when you made a donation to the Slow Flowers podcast last year. Right. That was yeah. so sweet. Oh, well, I'm a big fan of the podcast, so you I appreciate everything you're doing. <laughs> we obviously were listening to it while doing something else. Right? Of course. Of course. <laughs> so um, now I'm back in Walla Walla. We're going to kind of collaborate on today at a, a conference for farmers market managers. And it just brought me back and Elaine invited me to uh, see her farm. Here it is end of March, but there's stuff in the ground. So give us a snapshot of Golson Gardens and, and like how much land you have and how, you know, what you've got going on here. So, um, our total acreage is just under 10. Okay. And we are on the state line of... Yeah, literally, Oregon's across the street. I didn't realize that. Yeah, that's always kind of a surprise for folks. Um, we're straddling that over here. So, um, so yeah, 10 acres, um, most of which is in pasture uh, for our alpaca herd. And I've got just about a quarter acre uh, in production for cut flowers. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And the alpacas came first... But that, how did that, you know, uh, how did you move the alpacas over and make make room for flowers? So yeah, the alpacas came first. Um, I started raising them with really no dream of becoming an alpaca rancher. It was just kind of like, oh, let's get, we we have some acreage. We've got beautiful pastures. Um, So we got a few to kind of eat on the the beautiful grass we were able to grow out here. That was cheaper than buying a tractor. It was. We had no money for a tractor at the time. (laughs) 
Um, and so um, started growing uh, their fiber. Okay. And um, and their wool is a beautiful. It's beautiful. It's soft. It's very very natural. Um, it's it's the product of grass and water, really. Wow. Um, wow. And so in learning how to process their fiber. Um, I had seen a lot of people dyeing fiber and I just didn't want to take such a nice natural fiber and then put some acid dyes on them. Mm. And that happens. Yeah. And and nothing against that, but that was just something that I didn't want to do because I spent all this time growing it as naturally as possible. So I learned about natural dyeing. And there's a whole host of people out there doing botanical plant-based dyeing, which I thought was fascinating. Mm. So I started growing probably in 2014, growing dye plants because I learned I was buying most of my dye stuff online, extracts and so forth. Because there's this whole like fiber community of resources and oh yeah suppliers and, and it's a beautiful industry oh yeah and it's a vibrant industry mm-hmm. and a, a real kick in the pants too mm-hmm. but wait you folks. weren't in, a, into fiber crafts before this right like knitting or anything no not oh. really at all <laughs> <laughs> i kind of just take it as it comes <laughs> yeah so once i started growing the fiber I'm, what do i do with it i learned to knit and then i started to learn to dye um, and then once I learned, once you start buying a lot of the dye product online, and it's marigold, calendula, uh, coreopsis, and I did a little research, and those grow very well here. We're zone 7A, so pretty versatile They're zone. Annuals, right? yeah, yeah, very easy to grow, very prolific. Um, so I started growing dye plants hmm. a couple years back and did some dyeing workshops and just largely used it for myself. I freeze it, I dry it. Um, and every fiber harvest I have each year, I dye a portion of it. Um, and just was really enjoying that. Mm -hmm. Um, and then decided, you know, how can I make this more of a thing here? I'm already growing flowers. So I wonder if I can just grow some other flowers for the table. And that's Mm kind of where it started mm. yeah. uh, you still weren't thinking about uh, a commercial venture then at that point it was just more like oh I can cut some flowers take them to the office have them in my kitchen that sort of thing yeah pretty much um, so with the alpaca fiber it's it takes about two years to get to market um, and I was doing that as a commercial business and I still am and, and how many alpaca animals do you have I have Roughly 25. Okay. I'd have to do another count. Yeah. We just visited them. They're sweet animals. <laughs> they are. That's personality. I know. Each one of them has their own unique <laughs> ism. And I can recognize each one, even at a distance, just by some of the mannerisms. <laughs> so you, yeah. So you were saying it takes two years. So what, what, why is that? Um, so it's one year spent growing it. So we get one fiber harvest a year. And then... Mm. Uh, the balance of the next year spent having um, mini mills actually spin the fiber into yarn and then having it made into garments and then me to dye it. So start to finish at least two years before wow. it hits the market generally. Wow. And then I usually spend another six to eight months marketing it because right. if it hits the market in July, not a lot of people are buying hats and mittens and scarves in right. July. So, can I just stop you for one second? Um, the garments are right now. You have on you have them on your website for uh, old homestead alpacas, right? Yes, I do. Okay. Yes. So, what's your range of products that you're selling? So, I have a few styles of hats. I have fingerless mittens. I have little cowls, and then I have some scarves. Uh-huh. And your your cowl that you're wearing is 
vivid orange. Yes, so, from Coriopsis. Okay. Yeah. So these you you make you have the garments made before you do the dyeing. Yes. Okay, so I didn't know about that either. Yep, because um, we have the um, yarn made and it comes on cones, several tens of thousands of yards. Wow. It just my little setup, as you saw, I, I can't do that kind of dyeing on of yarn. Plus, it needs to be a very very um, uh, very fine yarn, so it would tangle very easily. So you don't want to process that before you and then actually knit it. It would just get tangled in the dyeing uh, process. It would get. It would. Be, I see. It would be a mess. I see. Um, so you you work with a mill to make the yarn, and then you work with a, a knitting factory to make the garments. That's correct. Okay, but yep. you're doing all the designs, and you found small vendors who do the production for That's you. correct. Yep. And I was very fortunate. This this. The whole run of um, knitwear that I have is 100% Washington made. How neat. And at the time I had it made, it was all within 100 miles of this farm. It wow. was spun at a mill that was located at the time in Sunnyside, which is the Yakima Valley. Right. And then it was knit um, in uh, Kennewick in the Tri-Cities. Wow. So within 100 miles of the farm. And then dyed here, right? And here? then dyed here using the flowers that, that we grew. Yeah. Wow. Um, your, so you're marketing on your website, but you're also, you that, did that, is that what got you to the farmer's market? Um, well, actually what got me to the farmer's market was this past year. I didn't actually sell um, the any of my stuff oh. in previous years. Oh. I did towards the end of 2018 mm. as the season cooled. Um, I sold there, but I primarily just sold everything online okay. for the fiber. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I, the only other thing I noticed when we went into your little shop and I'll, I'll put, share photos of your adorable shop, which is like in the old milk house, right? Yes. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, you had some skeins that were already dyed. So is oh, that yes. a different way to sell? No. And I actually, um, yeah, I do, um, have hand knitting and crochet yarns made. It's a, a thicker yarn. Some, yep. Yeah. I have a whole range. I, there was only a portion of it in there. We actually have a local yarn shop in town, Pearl Two Walla Walla, um, a lovely woman owned business. Uh, and they carry the the bulk of my my knitting yarns. You'll definitely have to check out their shop oh, while you're oh here. Gosh. It's adorable. So people who are into knitting are really particular about um, the, this. Would be like an artisan quality. Yarn. Oh yes, wow. Yes, and local and yeah. Oh how cool. Yeah, so they have they have primarily my my whole line there, and it's like runs the whole rainbow. Yeah. So you have this business going, and then the flowers kind of encroached on your psyche a little bit. And what happened there? Yep. So, well, I, I kind of got bit by the farming bug. I really enjoy working with the alpaca, being outside. Um, I enjoyed marketing them. Um, but truthfully, it took a long time to get the sales going. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to spend more time here. And so the only way I knew how to spend more time here was to, to, to make more of a living out of it. Because mm, you had an off-farm job. Yes. Yeah. Uh -huh. And so I... Kind of was just, I knew my limitations with fiber were time. Yeah. Um, it's a very niche market. It's a, a different price point. Um, so I kind of, I just, I really wanted to find a way to diversify. Yeah. Um, and then my neighbor across the street um, needed some help selling watermelons at another farmer's market. Um, so he enlisted me to help and I was happy to do so. And it really opened my eyes because I came at it from a fiber producer perspective. Now I'm selling melons. We would pull up to the market and there would be a line waiting. 
Um, and those suckers would just fly off the back of his trailer. Wow. And it was just like a, like a total epiphany for me. It was like, wow, you know, it's a, it's a perishable product in a price range that most people can reach that people want. That's delicious. That looked great. Super um, seasonal. Super seasonal. Yep, because melons don't usually come on until early July. Um, and so then, the local melon is like the most flavorful probably compared to oh what yes. you get in January from who knows where. Yes, yeah. and you can get like a 20-pound melon for five bucks. Wow. Yeah, and so I sold melons in 2016 for him. <laughs> and it was the coolest thing. It was like, it was like, wow, check this out. You show up and you have a product and people buy it. And I wasn't used to that because mine is, like I said, a very niche product and a higher price point, a lot longer process. <laughs> yeah. and No it, instant gratification it, with alpacas. Right. And so it, as much as I love them and I'm still doing it, it was like, wow, I, I wish I could had something that I could sell on a seasonal basis at, at a at a at a more attainable price point for, mm-hmm. for regular folks and, you know. Your neighbors. Yeah. And so... I I mean that that experience that one season just helping him on the Wednesday market um, really changed things for me and I kind of just took it to heart and really thought well what can I do and I'm out in the greenhouse kicking around things and literally literally stumbling over boxes of seeds instead of putting them away <laughs> and picked, I love that yeah, and then I, you know it lit- it was like the universe was like nudge, 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 smack, yeah, like a high five to the face, you know, and Elaine, we're here. Yeah. It was like seeds. And it was literally a box of zinnia uh, seeds that spilled out at my feet. And I was kind of like, what if I did cut flowers? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of where that idea got planted was selling melons and, and realizing that, you know, I'm already growing flowers. Well, you're growing flower. You have a greenhouse. Mm-hmm. You're starting plants in flats for your dye plants, right? And you're moving them from the greenhouse up to these raised beds. Right. So you have this sort of, in a way, you had the workflow even in place. I did, yeah. Um, yeah, I had a lot of kind of, I had some initial infrastructure, yeah. if you will. And You've made some changes. Yeah, yeah. I've we've definitely made some changes, but like I kind of had, it was a low barrier to entry at that point because I'd already had some of the stuff you needed to get started. So I figured... Why, why not? And so that's what I did in 2017. I just did yeah. a row of zinnias. Okay. And zinnias yeah. don't have a... Do they have any value as a dye flower? Um, not not really. Okay. And I have others that give better quality. But they're kind yeah. of grown the same way as a marigold would be grown or, Absolutely. or calendula would be grown. Right. You just yeah. sow the seeds and... Cut and come again. Wow. Kind. Yeah. Wow. So was that your first crop of just zinnias? Yeah, or? I did zinnias. I did slosia. I did some really funky uh, sunflowers. I mm. had some bells. That was probably the best year for bells of Ireland. I didn't really try, and they did it themselves. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, and I just took them to the office with me. I brought them into the house, shared them with friends, just kind of kicked it around to see, is this, is this so something even, I like? You weren't even trying to sell them in 17? No. Uh-uh. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So last year was your first full season. Last year was my first full season. How how did it go? It was wonderful. I mean, it exceeded my expectations on so many levels. Um, I was super nervous to do it um, because I had never, you know, like I had done melons, obviously, but like... (laughs) Slightly different. Yes. Kind of range of melon. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and that's the only thing is I I didn't really, you know, I didn't know how to put flowers together, really. Mm. Um, I did take the Florette online course. I took a lot of 
uh, online tutorials mm-hmm. and so forth to kind of make learn how to make market bouquets. Really? Like you know how to do the research. Yeah, yeah. And, and also just because Walla Walla is a little bit isolated from most of the cut flower growing in Washington State is happening west of the Cascades up and down the I-5 corridor. Like there's a lot of people who can help each other over there. Who's, you know, who's here to help you? You don't have a lot of community. Yeah, and it's really hard to kind of seek that help out when you're working a job, raising a herd of alpacas, (laughs) doing all the things. So it was a lot of like, you know, just the only time I had was late, late at night. And then you go online. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, so you, you didn't have trouble getting into the Walla Walla farmer's market or how did that come? Is that kind of your first obvious outlet? That was, um, yeah, uh, it's, it's a, it's a pretty, I think we're going into our 23rd year. I think Walla Walla is tell people what kind of community it is here. If you haven't heard, it's kind of a a hot tourist spot. It is. Yeah. And it's a very big agricultural town. Um, we've got several um, universities here, um, so it draws in a nice young population. A lot of wine, so we get lots of wine tours. That's what I. That's what I know it for. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. So getting into the um, the market was not hard. It's a, it's a very well established market. There's a few other growers, uh, flowers there. Lots of veggies, lots of crafts, lots of high skill artisans, mm-hmm. and it's a um, maker market. Yeah, yeah, well, and it's a producer market too. Okay. But yeah, it's. It's a it's a it's a pretty fantastic market. I couldn't ask for a better market wow. to have started at. So yeah. you started. You said you started a little bit later in the season last year because you just had to get enough product to yeah. bring in, right? Yeah, I was hopeful to get in right when they opened in May, but um, you know, learning curve. Yeah. Um, so I didn't get in until like mid June, um, but it was great. You know, the first few markets. You know, always super nervous. I think I was nervous every single market <laughs> up until like, the very end. Like, like what, will anybody buy these? Like, yeah. what, what did you take? Like, what were your original things that you took? Um, so it was a lot. Well, a lot, like, like a lot of calendula, a lot of herbs, mm. uh, a lot of a lot of my dye plants, my mm. early season dye plants, the chamomiles, the uh, the uh, cosmos, the coreopsis. So you were selling like grower bunches yes. of those varieties. Yep, yeah. yep. Um, and a lot of people would come by my stand and say, oh, these are beautiful wildflowers. And <laughs> like, you know, they're not wild. They grew them. <laughs> yeah. But that's the, that's the kind of emotion that they yeah. evoke. Very kind of loose and um, untrained, I guess, is the way yeah, I would. But it, it was people were responding to it. Yeah, yeah. I had a lot of good feedback. Yeah. I, so the nerves kind of went away after that. Yeah. I'm mean, not going to lie. I was, I mean, you know, I felt like I was a, you know, I'm going to be next to these real farmers. You know, here yeah. I am with my little setup and my little wildflower looking things. Um, So I was nervous every single week, but it was a good nervous. Like, you know, and I left the market every week just feeling great because I got a lot of good feedback and it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. And at some point you started doing market bouquets or when did you kind of mix it up and create, you know, a, a designed product. Well, you know, I always considered everything I brought was kind of my version of a market bouquet. Oh, okay. Whatever I had in, in in growing. In terms of your presentation. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And what is that presentation? Oh, that's a good question. You have labels, right? Um. Yeah. So I I um I did plastic sleeves. Okay. Um. So it wouldn't drip on folks, but I didn't have anything sleeved in the in the buckets. Oh. I just I had a few bouquets in each bucket. Um, and I've got this old uh, vintage um, Studebaker truck bed trailer. 
You showed it to me. It's so cute. And it's it, like it's very end, practical. It's like the back end of, a, of an old truck, right? Yes. Okay, with like one wheel on each side, like one, one axle. One axle. Okay, so yep. how did you convert that to a stand? So my husband found it in a field, kind of decaying, with that perfect like patina that you you can only strive for with the paint kind of chipping off. It's kind of like a, you were saying like an old Tiffany box or a Robinson yeah. blue. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, and so it was, it was converted. It like had this, um, wood, it was built up. Somebody had made it into like a chicken coop. And so it had all this chicken wire and lots of debris and stuff. And it was literally dying in a field. And we just took off all the dirt and the chicken wire, put a roof on it, and then like a little awning that I can open and close. And I sit in it and sell out of it. And I have all my display stuff in it. And then I put the flowers in, in the in the rig on the way over oh, so they're not getting funny. blown. So you yeah. drive that behind your van yeah. to the market and then it stand, It doesn't tilt or anything. It stands in place because yeah. it's got a brace or, or a... Yeah, we use some oh. little... We have some bottle jacks to kind of keep it uh-huh. from... Because I do get in and out of it quite a bit. Yeah, because people, it's almost like you're the, the, like the ice cream vendor. Yes, like People exactly. come to the window and, and pick up their flowers. Yeah, I have, the, I have displays in front of it. They just pick whichever one they want. They hand it to me. I put a sleeve in it so it doesn't drip on them, and just off like, they go. Just, and I have a sticker on that sleeve. Yeah, yeah so. and, and just like selling those watermelons. It's, it's yeah. mostly cash, right? Yes. I'm sure you have to have a square. and. Oh, yeah, I do. Cards. Yeah, but it, yeah. Yeah. Um, we talked about you having two businesses, the old Alpa- old homestead alpaca and then Golson Gardens. Can you talk about where that name Golson Gardens came from? And, you know, did that come right when you launched the flowers? Like that was sort of an intentional second business name, right? It was, yes. So when we purchased the property in 2013, uh, the gal we purchased it from, she, she told us that this used to be an old homestead. And mm-hmm. I was not super familiar with what that meant. But she provided us some paperwork um, that really kind of opened my eyes quite a bit. And yeah. it was the paperwork, uh, copies of it, mm-hmm. um, from 1870 showing um, how it was homesteaded, um, where you had to basically um, find a plot of land that was available, petition to homestead it, pay a small fee, and then for five continuous years had to live on the land, cultivate it all, and build a home. And then after five years, if you could prove you did it, you could own it. The state or the federal government. The federal government. Yeah, the Homestead Act of 1862. Wow. Yeah, and so she handed us this packet of paperwork that showed a Nathaniel S. Golson that did that very thing in 1870. Um, And he became the owner of this property in 1875. Wow. It was originally 164 acres and we're on the the, the remaining 10. With, with the, the this is was his house then. We're yes, it's the in. original house. The house our deed says it was built in 1901. Uh-huh. Uh, I think that's just when somebody wrote it down. Yeah. Uh, because we've done a quite a bit of renovation and we've I peeled mean, back enough layers to know it's probably a little bit before that. He he had a very small home here originally that we saw on the documents, a very like 16 by 20, very okay. tiny home, and then built this house. This is cool. And it's probably like a lot of farmhouses, like maybe additions were popped on over time or... Yeah, we've got one addition that was done in the 70s, I believe. Oh, really? Yeah, but everything else is as it was. Yeah, I mean, the original the woodwork floors, is amazing. wood ceilings. Yeah. No, we have no lath and plaster, all of, all of its true wood framed wow. that was milled on site wow yeah that's so cool yeah so it was, it's fitting that old, old homestead alpacas was that first business name but golson gardens is like an homage to the original homesteaders yeah, yeah. i love that i thought you know 
that was that was the natural uh, name for us because I just had to pay respects to that. And it's part of your story then. Yeah. And, and people in Walla Walla are still, as you said, so agriculturally minded and they, they value that story. Yeah. Um, your, as your business is moving forward to be more flower focused, um, I'm curious about your plans for 2019 because you're kind of, you've got stuff ready to, ready to go. You've been sewing. You said yesterday was the warmest day of the year so far. So you're rolling your sleeves up. Are you going to change or expand what you're growing? Um, I'm hoping to um, to kind of uh, get into the market. Hopefully in May. Uh-huh. I'm not sure if that'll happen yet. When is the first day? Like right before. It's the day? very uh, like May fourth. Oh, okay. yeah. It's every Saturday. You'll um, have something. I hope so. I hope it's enough. Either way, I'll be there because I am going to bring the alpaca fiber and garments because mm. I like to uh, make that available because it's still usually pretty cool in the mornings and the People evenings. People still need their scarves yeah. and their, their fingerless gloves. Yeah. yeah. So I'll, um, but I'm hoping to have a, a good little bit of flower offerings early. Like your maybe anemones or something. Early. Yeah. And I'm going to be putting some new ranunculus in the ground, hopefully in the next couple days to replace the crap I lost over the winter. But wow. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, beginnerhood. Do you, um, do you have florists in the market who would, would buy direct from you or what, yeah, what's actually, that going to be like? Yeah. We've got several, um, small florists in town. Um, my very first customer and my best customer all year, Melissa Fortin of Purely Petals. She does a floral subscription, beautiful arrangements. Oh, neat. Um, so Melissa's been my go-to florist. So there's a few others in town as well. So they value that you're their local flower. Oh, flower. yeah. Oh, wow. yeah. They're definitely all about the local yeah. uh, and fresh. And that could really grow because if there's wineries here, I'm sure there's a lot of weddings here. Yes. And she does do weddings. She does um, arrangements for wineries as well. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Yeah, so. Do you have any desire to get into that side of the business? No, you know, like I'm, I'm just happy if I can make a, a decent looking market bouquet. That's really <laughs> where I'm at. I, I enjoy the growing and the selling at the market. Um, I did one wedding uh, over this past year, and it was perfect for me. It was an elopement in the backyard, in somebody's backyard on like a Wednesday. Got that. Uh, yep. And it was a flower crown, a bouquet, and a boutonniere, and it still stressed me out. Because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to be in charge of ruining somebody's day, yeah, you know? that scale of, of yeah. spontaneity is really lovely. Yeah. And that was within my skill set. I enjoyed that. But, you know, I like the growing. Um, that's really where my heart is. Yeah. Yeah. Do you envision um, opportunities to bring people to the farm here with a flower theme? Because I know you've done some workshops on the fiber side. Yes. Actually, I am planning to do a Petals and Pekkas uh, event. Oh, my God. And so cute. my hope is to do flower crowns and then little photo shoots with the alpacas. Oh, how fun. If they'll cooperate. Yeah, that's that's my hope. I'm kind of... Targeting that around August. Oh my gosh, please let me know about yes, that. Yes, for that sure. It's just such a cute idea. And it kind of weaves together your two loves. And you have some, do you have photos of your alpacas wearing flowers? I feel like I, I don't, I but I'm going to, to try. I've got a couple agreeable alpacas that I think would stand for it. Or and, collars, even. Oh, yeah, I could do that. Like I've seen people do that to their pets. So yeah. Their dogs. Oh, yeah. Maybe yeah. not your cat. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, before we wrap up, I want people, if you're willing to tell your story sure. of how you got to here to Walla Walla, what your first career was, and I, I just think I want to um, I want to have people hear your personal journey of, of I don't know, 
the path you took. So yeah, fabulous. It, it was kind of a winding road. Um, <laughs> I definitely didn't grow up on a farm, so I would consider myself a first-generation yeah, farmer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my husband and I were both in the Army, um, and he is still in the National Guard. But So we were stationed at Port Louis. I did a uh, brief stint overseas in Iraq for a little bit. And then we came home, and then we vacationed to Walla Walla several times. Um, and I just found it to be an adorable little town, and I and, still do. And when you say Fort Lewis, so just so people know, that's sort of just south of Tacoma, oh, yes, Seattle-Tacoma yeah. area, western Washington. That Were you based there your whole time in the Army? Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. So, yep. So you kind of were already in the northwest in, for that reason. And then Walla Walla is about, it's on the opposite side of the state. Yeah, it's about five hours okay. drive. 200 and some miles. And yeah, but you came here for vacation and you kind of... Yeah. You didn't think, oh, I'll live here someday. Well, I always hoped, but I just was like, how could... You know, like, well, I don't know what I would do there. You yeah. know, like, I'm not a farmer and I'm not a winemaker. And, um, yeah. But we... Um, so we were... We got out of the military. We started working for the Army as civilians. Kept coming to Walla Walla. We walked around enough and I found the Army Corps of Engineers office. Um, and that surprised me. Yeah. Um, and so, well, that's army. I'm in the army still, you know, as a civilian. Yeah. So we applied for jobs out here and I think it was just the universe was agreeable to that. And we both got transferred here. Wow. And, um, uh, we moved out here in August of 2008. Wow. So yeah. just 10 years. Yeah. And so we bought a, um, a big home in town and planned to do the family thing. And we went through quite a bit of infertility mm, treatments. I'm so sorry. Oh, yeah. Well, it was part of the journey, though. Yeah. Um, so coming out of that, um, it was kind of a, okay, now what are we going to do? You know, because you spend so much time and energy focused on a certain goal yeah. and kind of come out the other end not having achieved it. Yeah. What do you pivot to? Yeah. And it was, you know, I was living, it was a beautiful home and I loved it in a neighborhood of growing families. Yeah. And so... Get away from that. Yeah, we just kind of needed, I needed a place to kind of regroup and kind of reset and refocus and find a new goal and a new dream. And so to us, that was, let's get some acreage. <laughs> we didn't want to leave Walla Walla because right. we just love this right. area. Um, and so we found this farm um, and we really had no plans at all. It was just, let's get a project in this house is a project that was this, this that was house a is a project uh, was it in need of some tlc it, a lot wow. yeah it was uh pretty country fabulous wow yeah pretty what country fabulous <laughs> but you also said that the barn was like they had me at you they had you at the barn yeah i mean it's it's gorgeous old yeah. original big red barn that reminded me of indiana yeah which um, is where you're from originally yeah that barn is iconic i took some photos and i'll, I'll share them on our show notes because oh. it's just it real and it says old homestead alpaca right on it, right? Yeah, yeah. Wow. So that's sort of an interesting um, trajectory that I was I was uh, I, I wanted to honor and support in that you're part of this veteran farmer organization. What's that called? Oh uh, yeah, the Farmer Veterans Coalition. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so it's like a nonprofit organization that really um, is there to inspire and encourage uh, service members to to choose careers in agriculture and showing that that those are worthwhile um sustainable careers and 
when you get out of uh, a military uh, contractor or or yeah, when you get out yeah when you get out when of the service retire. and yeah. a lot of folks um, especially those that have been deployed like myself find a lot of comfort in actually working the land and growing things and animals um, so it's a it's kind of a mentoring um, it's a it's a network if you yeah. will to to just encourage uh, military veterans to to take up jobs in ranching and agriculture that's so cool yeah. and i asked you if there were any flower firms farmers in that group and you said you didn't know if you were if you might be the only one so. I, yeah i'm not quite sure yeah, yeah. i know there's another alpaca farmer in it <laughs> that's for sure <laughs> um a while ago not that long ago you sent me a really cute email about um your big success from last year, and that was um, being able to spend the money that you raised last year selling flowers on something you needed for the farm. And I don't know, somehow the podcast worked into that, I guess, because you were just listening to the podcast. Tell I, me that story. Yep. So at the end of the season, um, the old van I was using to pull my flower cart, which was my mother's old van, mm. um, was really starting to become not so reliable. And it got me through the season, but I didn't, I knew it would. It wouldn't get me through Oh, because you're one. pulling this half Studebaker wagon behind it or yes. cart behind it. Okay. Yep. So the flowers go in the van, which is really nice with the sliding door, but it wasn't going to make it for the next year. So with my the proceeds of this last, my very first um, market season, I was able to buy a newer, older van um, that I got in Tri-Cities off of Craigslist. Awesome. Like a, like a smoking grandma deal like it had been garaged only went to church and the grocery store <laughs> at 90,000 miles on a 2003 it's yeah. fantastic you know, it's got sliding doors on each side <laughs> it's meant for you yeah and tinted windows and it runs great and yeah I listened when I went to pick it up um I listened to that current episode of the podcast the whole hour drive home. And it was just like a, you know, one of the, I had a moment, you know, where it was just like, wow, this, you know, I couldn't have asked for a better first year. That's awesome. I love that story. And you're getting ready for a great second year. I know. I'm I'm super excited. I wish you a lot of success and I will make sure we'll share some photos. Cool. I took photos today, but you have some photos from last season that you can maybe share. And um, I'd love to um, encourage people to check out what Elaine's doing with her alpacas too, because that the wool is beautiful. And the fact that you're doing fiber dyeing is, and, and also natural dyes, cause you buy some product, some dyes like the indigo, mm-hmm. like that's got, it, it's like so popular right now. People want to know that this is natural and not a chemical based product. I mean, that's just part of your story too. Right. Yeah. That's cool. All right. Well, I, we're going to go um, teach the farmer's market managers a little bit about how to have support flower farming at their markets statewide so we'll do thanks for saying you'll help me with that yes i'm so excited to be involved great thanks a lot elaine i really enjoyed this so much for joining me today. For Elaine and Mike, growing flowers is the latest chapter of their agricultural lifestyle, one that began with a couple llamas and too many adorable alpacas for her to accurately count. That continued to a flower and herb garden to grow plants that produce natural dyes for the wool, skeins, and garments made with the alpaca fiber and expanded a few years ago to become a full-fledged cut flower farm. 
I take so much enjoyment from their story, and I'm thrilled to share it as our Encore episode this week. I've added an updated gallery of photos that Elaine has shared and links to old homestead alpacas and Golson Gardens in our show notes for episode 565 at theslowflowerspodcast.com. That's just slowflowerspodcast.com. We'll be back on our regular schedule with new episodes starting next week. Our next sponsor, thanks, goes to Cal Flowers, the leading floral trade association in California, providing valuable transportation and other benefits to flower growers and the entire floral supply chain in California and 48 other states. The association is a leader in bringing fresh-cut flowers to the U.S. market and in promoting the benefits of flowers to new generations of America consumers. Learn more at CAFGS.org. Well, we're always thrilled when members of the media ask to learn more about the Slow Flowers Movement, and I have a news story by journalist, writer, and editor Karen Vrandrace to share with you. Karen recently profiled Slow Flowers for Avocado Magazine. That's the magazine produced by the Avocado Green Mattress Company. They're very focused on sustainable practices and sustainable lifestyles. Her story, How to Support the Slow Flowers Movement, was illustrated with many of Missy Palakal's gorgeous photographs of farms and flowers. And it's a great piece you'll want to read and share with your customers and clients. I love how Karen wrapped up the story with four tips for making mindful floral purchases. You can find a link to the full story in today's show notes at slowflowerspodcast.com. I know you'll love it. Our final thank you goes to Storic Cold, creators of the revolutionary CoolBot, a popular solution for flower farmers, studio florists, and farmer florists. Save thousands when you build your own walk-in cooler with the CoolBot and an air conditioner. Don't have time to build your own? They also have turnkey units available. You can learn more at storeitcold.com. Thanks so much for joining us today. The Slow Flowers Podcast is a member-supported endeavor downloaded more than 865,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. As our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of our domestic cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. If you're new to our weekly show and our long-running podcast, check out all our resources at slowflowersociety.com and consider making a donation to sustain Slow Flowers' ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button at slowflowerspodcast.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of The Slow Flowers Show and The Slow Flowers Podcast. The Slow Flowers Podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more slow flowers on the table, one stem, one vase at a time. I'll see you then. Thank you.